Well, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 uh, through 11 of chapter 1 in Acts, and we're in this series called Identity, which is a big deal. It's like, here's the question that we're asking in this series. Whose are you and who are you? And that, those are two really important questions. Who do I ultimately belong to? And, you know, the average American today would say, well, me, myself, and I, right? It's all about me. Uh, but who do you ultimately belong to? The Bible has a different answer. It says God made you, God owns you, which is very offensive to the secular mind, to the modern man. And then it says Christ died for you. In fact, in one part in Romans, Paul says, uh, Christ bought you at a price, therefore glorify God with your body. So, so the answer is, listen, uh, who's are you? Well, ha- God made you and God bought you, so you're God's. And you should live as somebody made in God's image. And so we're talking about this idea of identity, and it's very um, relevant, you know, to, to where we are as a culture. Because people are asking right now, am I my sexual identity? They're asking that question. That's the LGBTQ movement. Hey, it's so important because maybe that's what I am. Maybe that's the most important thing about me. Or, you know, I, somebody told me there's some kind of election this November, a national election, very important. Okay, what's that? Right, and, there, and there's a guy named Joe Biden you've heard of, and a guy named Donald Trump you've heard of, and they're running against each other. There's these two big parties, the Democrats, the Republicans, okay? There's a lot at stake, like every election, right? And it's easy to be fully identified with a certain candidate or party. Uh, it's, it's easy. There, there's a lot of questions right now about race, racial reconciliation, racism, a lot of that's about what identity and how important is my skin color and what does my skin color mean and what does other people's skin color mean? How do we think about it? And I don't know if it's just you guys. I, I'm, you know, I'm driving around because it's nice out or I'm going to run um, and, and I see everybody's got these signs in their yard. I mean, I'm not thinking of one political sway around. I'm just, everybody's kind of decided to put signs in their yard right now, you know, that, that tell us what they believe. And I think that there are some people who really believe what the sign says, God bless them. And it's done out of conviction. But I think there's a lot of people who put those signs in the yard and go, this is what I, I think this is what you want me to believe. It's, it's what's the, the technical term, I should have talked about this a while ago. The technical term is virtue signaling. It's I, this is what I think you want me to be. And so I'll say this and I'll do things that I don't even believe because I don't even know who I am. And you go, when did all this start? Middle school, Okay. Right? Middle school. I mean, I don't know. I don't know you guys. You could not pay me to go back to middle school. Okay? Middle school, I just have all, so, you know, there was three girls, sixth grade. They all dated me. They all dumped me three days in. I'm not, I'm, I still don't know why. I'm not bitter. I'm not jealous. I'm not thinking about it still. Um, no, that happened. You know, I remember, I remember being in seventh grade. I didn't make the basketball team, you know? And uh, this isn't for you to feel bad about me, but I just, I went home and I just was like, who am I? Because I was a decent, whatever this means, I was a decent basketball player in elementary school. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I wasn't anymore, and it's who am I? And then, and so I was thinking about this, and I texted my mom a week or two ago, and I said, Mom, can you send me a picture of me in middle school, or maybe early high school? This is what she sent me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I saw that picture, and I just felt bad for myself. <laughs> um, you know, you, so now some of you know why I don't have hair anymore, okay? Because I did that kind of stuff. And I, and I look back and I go, why did I do that? And I'm like, I don't know why I did that. And I remember it grew out and I didn't have a picture of this, but then you have tips, okay? Then didn't you have the, and, and if you zoom in, if this was 4K and we could zoom in, I have an earring. I do. I know. I, why? I don't know. I'm not against earrings. I don't know why I had one though. It was cool back then. And then I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm, uh, maybe it's cool still. Um, uh, and then that's my lacrosse jersey. I'm terrible at lacrosse. I tried it for one year. After that, I just played golf, okay? That's it, I gave up. And, and I share all that just to say, 
we, we don't really know often who we are and our identity. And this series, I think, is so foundational and so fundamental because it says your identity has to flow from the creation and cross, from that God made me and Christ died for me. And then what I thought was just the different identities we're talking about. So week one, just to catch everyone up, we talked about being a worshiper. And that was important because we started with our upper, our vertical identity. Uh, then last week, Pastor Caleb did a great job talking about family, more of our inward identity. And that was really important because basically it's like, hey, listen, a Christian can't understand himself or herself apart from the church. You can't really understand your identity apart from community. You have to be in community with one another. I mean, how do you obey the one another if you're not connected to community? And then this week, we're going to talk about witness. And I want to I read um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is a key passage on uh, being a witness. Here's what it says. We're going to cover 11 verses, but I want you to see this first verse. He, this is Jesus speaking his final words to his disciples. He says this, but you will receive power. Same word as in was Romans 1.16, that word power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, who's the main character in the book of Acts. He's the main missionary behind the movement that happens in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Isn't that amazing? We said this in week one, but your identity is not achieved, it's received. It's not earned, it's freely extended from, by Christ to you. So you may go, well, I don't want to be a witness. Well, you are if you're a Christian. The question really is not, are you a witness, but are you a good witness or are you a bad witness, Right? But this whole idea is, it's not like the, there's JV Christians and there's varsity Christians, and JV Christians aren't witnesses, but varsity Christians are witnesses. That's not what he's talking about. But I, I want to talk about this idea of being a witness. And when I thought about it, I thought about two scenarios about being a witness. When, I, when, when we use the word witness today, because it's not a word that we maybe use a ton, one scenario I thought of is like, you think about the courtroom. You think about the juror and the judge and the jury, the judge, uh, the lawyer, and then the, usually the key witness, right? Every great movie has a key witness. I mean, you think about uh, a few good men, right? You think about a time to kill. You think about Legally Blonde, okay? I mean, uh, all, all of these movies, they have this, this idea of bringing in a key witness, and why is the witness so important? It's like, well, it doesn't really matter who he, she, he is or she is. What's important is, um, what do they know? What, what have they seen? What have they experienced? For example, I'll tell you this. Um, Galen Maxwell, if you don't know who that is, she was the right-hand woman for Jeffrey Epstein, who sexually abused minors, they just took her into custody over the last two weeks. And I've been reading all about it. I find it very interesting. And they're very concerned for her safety because of what she knows. They're very good. They're, she has seen so, she partook as well, but she has seen so many terrible things. She's such an important witness, not because of how valuable she is in herself, but because of what she has seen. But then there's a second thing that I saw with witnessing, and, and I want to show you this behind me as well. Um, this is uh, from Nike. Look at this. Have you guys ever seen this before? Now, I didn't know Nike was a Christian organization. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. If you don't know this, they're not, you know, newsflash, Nike's not Christian. Um, but what's really interesting is, is I saw this years ago, and I thought about it for a while, and, and so I read about it this week. And what, what Nike did is um, they started this marketing campaign uh, because they had realized LeBron James, who's in that picture, who's arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time, is so incredible at what he does and has exceeded every expectation that we had for him as a basketball player that the first time he went to the NBA Finals in 2007, they started this marketing campaign. 
And it was always weird for me because I would see people who were fans of him wearing a shirt that said witness on it with a Nike swoosh underneath it. I was like, are they Christians? You know? <laughs> no, they, they were excited about the greatness of what they've seen. And I thought, well, you know, just, just to kind of make a, a two, two millimeter shift there, I, I think when I think about what does it mean to be a witness for Christ? Hey, we've seen and experienced something important. We've seen and experienced something great. It's not that we're so great, it's that what we've seen is so important. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, has had an influence on my life. There's nobody more important than Jesus Christ. There's nobody greater than him. No one's had a bigger impact. So what I want to do is I want to be a witness about that. And so I want to now take us, and we're going to quickly go through the first 11 verses of of Acts chapter 1. And I want us to see this idea of witness. Uh, And by the way, um, you're going to continue on Mondays to get an email, if you're on our email list, with these study guides, and uh, they are to help you go further, faster in everything that we talk about in all of these identities. Uh, we've heard stories of individuals using them, stories of families using them, uh, and stories of community groups using them. So I, I hope those will continue to be helpful for you guys. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the first book, O Theophilus, and so here's what I want you to know. The book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. And he wrote two books, and here's a little Bible trivia, it's always fun. Um, Luke wrote more of the Bible by volume than anybody else. A lot of people think Paul wrote the most. Well, no, Paul wrote the most books. Luke wrote the most content by volume. So he writes the first book, and then he's about to write this second book. And, and let me just encourage you, if you're here tonight, and you know, maybe you're watching online, and you are a seeker or a skeptic, or maybe you just, you're just struggling a little bit in your faith, I think one of the most encouraging things is that the foundation of Christianity what, what, what the Christian faith is based on is not what 12 men believed. It's, it's actually based on what the original followers of Jesus Christ said that they saw, heard, and personally experienced. All of the Gospels are eyewitnesses account. It's not about what Mark believed. It's what Mark saw. It's not about what John thinks and has faith in. It's what he experienced himself. And so, so he picks up here, and then look at verse 1 again. It says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Here's the first big point. We are witnesses because Jesus is still working. And I want you to see what he says there in verses one and two. He, he, he writes to Theophilus in the book of Acts. He goes, hey, I, I wrote you another book earlier, that book we call Luke. He says, and in that book, here's what I did. In that book, I told you what Jesus began. If you underline your Bible, you don't underline that. He began to do and teach. What does that mean? What is the book of Acts about? What Jesus is continuing to do and teach. So the foundation uh, of being a witness is believing that God's still at work in the world. That's it. It's, it's actually a very simple belief. It's like, okay, um, Jesus has two ministries. Jesus has a heavenly ministry. Jesus has an earthly ministry. Um, G, uh, you know, it's actually, I should say it the other way. He, has an, he had an earthly ministry. Now he has a heavenly ministry. His earthly ministry lasted three and a half years. His heavenly ministry has been lasting 2,000 years. His earthly ministry, he was here in the flesh. His heavenly ministry, he works by the Holy Spirit through his church but it's actually the exact same ministry. If you wanna go, what is Jesus doing right now? It's like, well, just ask the question, what did he do? Uh, well, he had a healing, teaching, preaching ministry. Yep, that's what he's still doing. Well, he said he came to seek and save the lost. Yep, that's what he's still doing. 
Well, he came and he said, you know, if you admit that you're spiritually sick, he'll, he'll, he'll heal your soul. Yeah, that's what he's still doing. Well, he spent three and a half years uh, opening up the Bible, opening up his life, making disciples. Yeah, that's what he's still doing. Everything that Jesus did do in his earthly ministry, he's still doing. In fact, that's why, you know, Jesus' final words at the cross were what? It is finished, not I am finished. The only unique thing, I shouldn't say only, but one of the, the, the most unique thing he did in his earthly ministry was he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins and bought all the grace we would need to accomplish the ministry going forward. And so what, what a Christian believes, a Christian believes God's really at work. I've got a friend, and he's really good at saying this. I, it, I'm working on saying this so it doesn't sound weird or overly spiritual, but one of the things he says when someone asks him, a non-Christian asks him, um, what are you doing? Or how's your day going? Or, you know, just the casual phrases people say to you. He has just, he's a great, he has a great way of saying this, but he says, you know, he says, I'm just interested to see what God might be up to in my life today. And he said about 10% of people just think he's weird. <laughs> you know, um, about, ten, you know about, about 10 or 20% of people jump on it. And, like, and not in a bad way, but they just they say, what do you mean by that? Hold, hold, what, are you Christian? You know, what, what, what faith are you? And then about 70%, it, it leads to a conversation maybe later because he just, he just opened the door just a little bit there. And so but the whole idea is that a witness is I'm expecting God to move. I'm expecting God to, I mean, isn't that amazing? I'm expecting God to move my marriage. I'm, ex I, I'm expecting that most of my witnessing will happen at work. I'm expecting that. I'm expecting that God's going to give me opportunities to speak to my kids. I'm expecting that when we go on vacation this summer and I'm going to be with my parents who I haven't seen, I'm expecting that God's going to work in that environment. That's just a great way to, it's a biblical way to live your life. It's a great way to live your life. And so there's three ways we witness when you think about this, and these are just really practical things. And part of what we want to do in this series is give you a lot of practical tools. So like, well, what do I witness about? Well, there's three things biblically you witness about. But number one is your testimony, right? So we've talked about that before. That makes sense because you're a witness, so you have a testimony. Now, a testimony is just, don't, don't be afraid about, by that word if you've not heard it before, because um, the apostle Paul did this all the time. So if you read the book of Acts, Paul would get in front of big governmental officials and all, which is, by the way, kind of a scary thing about the book of Acts. The book of Acts starts out like really exciting and lots of people come to Christ. It ends with a bunch of court cases in jail. But that's, that's how it ends. So, so, so he ends up in front of all these court cases and jails and everything. And every time he, he gets there, he doesn't do a lot of, immediately, he doesn't do a lot of preaching. He does a lot of sharing of his testimony. Hey, guys, this is what Christ has done. Before you, let me just tell you what Christ did in my life. And he just goes on for a chapter. And, and what your testimony is, is your testimony is, hey, this was my life before Christ. This is my life at meeting Christ. This is my life now with Christ. Which is why one of my fears sometimes is when we ask people, hey, when did you become a Christian? If they say, I've been a Christian all my life, you know, my spidey sense goes up just a little bit, you know? It doesn't mean that you couldn't be a Christian, because what some people mean by that is, like, oh gosh, I had the greatest you know, parents in the world. I came to Christ at six and seven, and six or seven, and all I've ever known is the church, and I didn't really have a rebellious streak, and praise the Lord. But a lot of people, what that sometimes means is they've actually never become a Christian. They've never really repented of their sin. They've never really realized their need for Christ personally. They're in church, but they're not in Christ. So the first thing that we do is, is we share our testimony with other people. My question to you would be, do you have a testimony? Do you know how to share it? That'd be a great thing to do in your DNA groups, your community groups. Hey, how do you do it? You know, we, we used to, when I was with Campus Outreach, a college minister, we used to practice sharing our testimonies. Here, you share yours in three minutes, you know, and then I'll give you some feedback. And then, hey, I'll share mine with you and you give me some feedback. And it's just, just helpful because we want to be good at sharing what Christ has done in our life. The second thing, and I think this is really important, and you might, I probably should have put it first, but um, 
because you'll probably have a chance to do this before you ever share your actual testimony. This is what it means to be a witness, is, um, is you share the life lessons God's teaching you. So it's, it's just, I think part of what we need to learn is, is what Jeff Vanderstelt, who's a pastor in uh, Washington State, he calls it gospel fluency, where you can talk about Jesus, the Bible, the gospel, and it's not super weird. It doesn't feel like unnatural to you because, because it's not, because it's a natural part of your life. Like, let me give you an example. You might say something like, you know, um, this has been a really difficult time for me, you know, during, during COVID. And I've been incredibly struggling with depression and disappointment. You could say, I'm, I'm making things up here. And you might, but you might say, you know what? One of the things that's really comforted me is, is I, I'm a Christian, and so I've just been reading the Psalms. And, you know, I don't know if you know this about the Psalms, but the Psalms are just a book of, you know, God's people and how they've mourned. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot about how to mourn and how to lament. And I'm learning a lot about that in the season. It's like, well, that's a very, that's not offensive to people. You, you begin to share, you might use illness and injury. You might use a weakness that you struggle with. You might, you might talk about, you know, hey, I, lo- I, lost a, I lost a child. And the only thing that's comforted me is to realize that God also lost his son. And all of a sudden, you're talking about the gospel in, in, in compelling and honest ways. You know, I, there's a lady in our church. This just, I was overwhelmed by this this last week. There's a lady in our church, and she and her family bought, just bought a bunch of land. And they asked us to come on up, and maybe some of you were there, and right, right, right on the, you know, the two-by-fours, scripture verses, and pray. So we go up to this land, and I'm overwhelmed at multiple levels. I'm overwhelmed that somebody would have a vision to have a land like this, and then when I go up there and she says, hey, you know, um, the reason I have this land is because I really want my children to grow up in, in, in a place where we can have people come and we can make disciples here. And I know those youth years, those teenage years are hard. So what we want to do early on is create a place where that's safe, a place where they can hear the gospel, a place where they can play, a, a place where, where we can have youth events. Anyway, she just goes on and I'm just thinking, this is somebody. I, if she says that to me and I'm not a Christian, I'm like, there's something different about you. And you're just, before we get to the testimony, before we get to anything else, you're just sharing about how Christ is teaching you and speaking to you. And it's so real to you that when we talk about it, it's just real. And then the final thing is what you're, you know I'm going to say, which is the gospel, right? It's the good news of Christ. We testify to that. And our job there is just to get the message right, right? It's like, you know, we're the mailman. We don't write the, we don't write the mail, we deliver it. And, and, and our goal in that is, hey, look, the world is, there's never been a time, at least in my lifetime, where people have heard so much bad news. It's time for some good news. You know, I, you can look at your street and go, this, this, your, you know, look at your, your apartment complex and go, this, this looks like some, a place that needs some good news. And you say, hey, look, God created you. You're sinful by, I'm summarizing it. You're sinful by nature and choice. Christ lived the perfect life, died for you. You're called to respond in repentance of faith. That's the gospel in like 10 seconds. <laughs> um, but you can expand on all of those things, and that's how we witness. So that's the first thing is, why do we witness? Well, we witness because Jesus is still working. Secondly, let's talk about how do we witness? How do we witness? Shows up in verse four. Here's what it says. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father, by the way, is the Holy Spirit, uh, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here's the second main point. We are witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. The person and the power of the Holy Spirit. I I find it interesting that there's this massive mission 
And you've, you've, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've, you've read these verses, you know these verses. If you've read any of the New Testament, you may have read these verses. But I always find it interesting that Jesus says, hey, there's a massive mission, but first you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's just a reminder, and I want us just to feel this, just that we are, we are completely dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to see life change in our life and in the life of other people. That we, we John Piper, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, his definition of ministry, he always said, ministry is doing what only God can do. And we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there he talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, happens to every Christian when you become a Christian at conversion. You are baptized into the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want us just to, I've got this verse up on the screen. I want to read... Um, Acts 4.31, real quickly to you. This is a few chapters later. We see the promise happening. They are baptized in the Spirit at Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. But, but what happens is there is, and this is important. Please hear me say this. There is one baptism of the Spirit. There are many fillings of the Spirit. There's one baptism. There's many fillings. We see the, the, the church continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it all, well, let me just show you. Verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's the first thing they do? And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I, I, you know, it's always interesting to talk about the personal Holy Spirit, right? Because every time I do, I feel like I've got to say the same two or three things, you know? Yes, he's the most mysterious member of the Trinity. Uh, yes, he does more. Most Christians think the Holy Spirit does two things. He writes the Bible and he convicts me of sin. It's like, he does not less than that. He does a lot more than that. He's called the comforter. He's called the counselor. In the book of Acts, he's the main missionary. And what's interesting is the question is, how, do we, how can we be more and more filled with the Holy Spirit like we see them? Because what happens is, I mean, let's just be honest. I'll, well, I'll just talk about my own life. Um, I know who I need to share Christ with. And I, I would imagine if you took five minutes and you were honest with yourself, it's like, you would, you know, you'd know. And then, like, I know how to share Christ. And you probably do to some extent as well, or you probably do. If not, you could read a book or get some help, and you could. You have the time to do it, right? If you've ever finished a series show on Netflix, you have the time to evangelize, okay? Can we just admit that? So, okay, you have the time. You know there's people that you should share Christ with. You know how to do it. Why aren't you doing it? You don't have the courage, I don't have the courage. I don't have the boldness to do it. And I, I need the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to fill me. Now, I don't know all that that means. I don't know, I, you know, I, I wrestle with, I mean, part of what I wrestle with all week is, you know, every week is how to best communicate things. And the best illustration, and I'll give it to you because it's had an effect on me. The best illustration I've ever heard of being filled with the Spirit is by, um, by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones is considered by many to be the greatest preacher of the 20th century. And um, in, in the middle of his ministry, he really began to, I don't know what the way to talk, talk about value the person of the Holy Spirit more, because he saw him mentioned so much in Scripture. And he, he, he said, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's like, it's like, he said, this is the illustration I'll give you. He said, it's like you're, God's the dad, you're the son or daughter, and you're on a walk together and you're holding hands. And you're completely secure in his love for you. He said, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, it's like your dad gets down on both of his knees, looks you in the eye, says, I love you, gives you a hug and a kiss, pulls you up, wraps you around, puts you back down. 
And he said, did anything change about his love for you? No, it just became felt. It became manifest and you knew it to a deeper level and it encouraged you. And so why do we do everything that we do? Why do we pray? Why do we share? Why do we, you know, um, read the scriptures? Why do we gather like this? It's in the hopes that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would know God loves me so much. Because, you know, in those moments, you've had those moments where you've texted that friend, you know? You're like, why was I doing it? You're like, I don't know. I was listening to a Hill song, you know, song, and I got excited. I texted my friend that they need to, you know. You, you are just filled with the moment. You were just like, I, I love the Lord. You know, I don't know if you ever had this experience. A lot of times when I'm worshiping on a Sunday, I'll think about somebody who's lost. It, it does, I'm not saying I'm always thinking about the lost, but for me, as I love the Lord more and experience his love toward me, I begin to think about the lost. I believe that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we witness because Jesus is still working. We witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Third, we are told to witness in all the world. <clears throat> Verse six. So when they had come together, this is the disciples, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is interesting, right? Because your questions reveal your heart. You know, you can say certain things, but your questions, you, I had a mentor one time, he said about questions, he goes, you're telling on yourself. <laughs> questions are the way you tell me what you really believe and what you're really thinking about, what you really value. So here they are, and they're telling on themselves because the word restore is a political word, and they're focusing only on Israel, and they want it right now, right? Very much like us. Um, I would like things to be changed instantly, uh, I would like th and I would like it to be all about me and where I am, please. And so what Jesus says in response is, hey, the church doesn't ultimately have a political mission. It has a gospel mission to see people be made, in, to meet Jesus and be made his disciples. So verse seven, he says this, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So hey, I, I'm not going to answer every one of your questions. When is the COVID virus going to end? I, I'm not going to answer that. You know, that's what God's saying. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to answer every detailed question that you have but I want you to stay on mission. See, what, what happens is they are already about to get off mission, and they're, they're, the, they're the only hope the world has, that the Holy Spirit would use these eyewitnesses to Christ to share the message, and they're already getting mission creep or mission drift, right? This is really, really easy to happen to Christians. Let me ask you this. What takes you off mission? Has COVID-19, who knows Christ more because of COVID-19 in your life? Or is it just taking you off mission, right? It's like, you know, I've seen, I'll tell you just what I've seen in, in so many people's lives. Um, what takes people off mission? A romantic relationship they shouldn't be in. It's like, you, know, you were, you know, you were on mission and you were sharing Christ and you were making disciples and then you met him or you met her. Or I've seen people who they use their entire age and stage as an excuse. Well, I can't do that while I'm single. Well, I can't do that while I'm married. Well, I can't do that when I have kids. Well, I can't do that when I'm an empty nest. I'm like, well, then when can you do it? Because that's your whole life. And one of the great things about being in community is, you, you know, people come, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just picking on, I'm not thinking of any one person, but people say, you know, oh, I can't, you know, I, I really can't, uh, you know, make disciples and be a part of a community group in medical school. I'm like, yes, you can. Because there's tons of people in our church who do that. Well, no, yeah, but not in residency. No, no, in residency, we tons too. Well, not in fellowship. No, in fellowship too. Well, you can't share your faith once you're a doctor. No, I know lots of doctors who share their faith. Well, what, what people are doing is just making excuses. And it's very easy to do based on your life stage. Many homes are more child-centered than they are Christ-centered. As soon as there's, you know, and again, I'm not picking on any one person or anything. I just, particularly millennials are like this, though. You know, it's like you get your one kid. It's like everything stops forever because I've had my one kid. 
And I'm not doing anything else except being a mom or dad and living in my own silo. And everything else, activities, athletics, and academics, it will be all around about them. And then I'll wonder years later why they didn't come to Christ and why they don't value the church. Because we didn't. And why they never learned anything about mission. See, your kids need to witness you witnessing. They need to see you out on mission. They need to see that you value these things. And so how do we, how do we do, how do we witness? Well, there's an individual witness and a corporate witness. And, and I want to let you know, I want to spend a little bit talking about an individual witness. An individual witness is where you live, learn, work, and play, right? It's when you witness out of your life stage and your lifestyle. Like, nobody's like you. I mean, you're not a snowflake, but you know what I mean, you know? It's like, there is, like you, you are a certain life stage, you have certain lifestyles, so you're going to have a unique relationships and, and ability to, to have a ministry. And so here's, here's what we're, and, I, and I've got a slide for this because I really want you to see this. We're using two acronyms. I mentioned it one time before, but we, I just want you to know, as we head toward the, uh, the rest of 2020, we're really pushing in a healthy way and pressing on these two acronyms. The first acronym is FRANK. The second is BLESS. FRANK is who you should share with, F-R-A-N-C, and BLESS is how you should share. So let me just start with FRANK. FRANK is, and I challenge you, I, I don't do that many really specific challenges, like where I just like, it's like so specific, but I challenge you to make a FRANK list and a BLESS list. Let me, let me just tell you, I, I've done it, and I'll tell you a story about that in a second, but your frank list is you, you write down, okay, who are my friends, and, and, and who are my relatives, who are my acquaintances, you know, the person that you bump into when you go to the grocery store or what, whatever, um, who are my neighbors, and who are my coworkers or classmates? And if you honestly fill this out, you start realizing that you have more influence than you know, and you're around more people than you think. And then your, the blessed list is what am I going to do with that frankless, blesses begin with prayer. Like, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it, it's so hard to be honest. I know church is no place to be honest, you know, but, but, it, but it's so hard to be honest in the sense to say, you know, I mean, how many of us really, I'm not gonna ask for raising hands, genuinely pray for lost people by name consistently? Well, you know, that, would that not turn the temperature up in our house? Would, the, would that not fill you with the Holy Spirit? Start praying by name for your lost neighbors. Listen is yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in conversation I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna care about their problems. Um, you know, Christians may be the last people in the world willing to hear a sad story. Nobody else wants to hear that kind of stuff. We'll hear it, we'll listen to it, we'll walk with you through it. Eat is hospitality, you know, sharing meals. Serving is, is serving one another. In sometimes it's inviting them to serve you, which is a humbling thing. Hey, can you help me move this? Can you help me? It invites them into your life. And then sharing. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is, for us each to take some time in our lives. And, and again, you don't have to do this. I hope you want to do this. But, but what would it look like for you to take 30 minutes a week? That's less than one Netflix show, okay? Well, 30 minutes a week to say, how can my bless list and my frank list meet my budget and my calendar? I believe that would move the needle in our church with mission. Let me just say it again. How does my frank list and my bless list meet my calendar and my budget. So you may say, I want to reach my kids. They're in my house and I'm not thinking about them much. I should be thinking about their hearts more with evangelism. You may say, okay, here's what it is. I'm going to put on the calendar that I'm going to take my son to lunch on Tuesday to share. That's what just happened. You just were intentional and your frank list and your blessed list met your budget and your calendar. So he's saying that we should do that locally 
nationally and globally. And I won't get into all this, but you see, he says, he says, you will be my witnesses. Let me read it in verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's local, in Judea and Samaria, that's national, and to the ends of the earth. So sometimes you'll go, that, well, that's really cool. You guys do local, national, global. Where'd you get that? The Bible, the Bible, right here. Um, national, the, the number one way we do this is church planning. Globally, the number one way we do this is we connect to, to missionaries and movements like we're doing in Mumbai and Laos and other places. Um, and one of the reasons that we chose, and I just want us to keep this narrative ahead of us, in front of us, because I think it's important. The reason we chose Mumbai, because there was five global cities. I won't be able to remember them all, but it was Dubai, Shanghai, Mumbai, a lot of eyes, um, uh, <laughs> London, and Kuala Lumpur. And when I heard those, my first, in my flesh, I thought, London. This is pre-COVID. I was like, London, London, London. I'll, I'll do the first vision trip, you know? Um, you know, or Dubai, the oasis of the Middle East. You know, oh man, MI3 was shot there. You know, th that's what we'll do. Um, that's Mission Impossible 3. Um, and, um, but I thought, you know, actually I asked, I said, what's, what's the most difficult one? What's the one that nobody wants? And they said, well, Mumbai. It's the largest concentration of lostness on earth. And we just decided as a church, we were going, this is a David Platt, if you don't know him, uh, uh, pa pastor in D.C. now, but his, his whole philosophy is if you choose the hardest, farthest place, Jesus says the ends of the earth, you'll get everywhere else. If you make the sacrifice and you learn how to get that far, you'll learn how to get everywhere else. And so we've been committed to global missions, and we need to pray for global missions, guys, because I don't know what international travel looks like after this. And on a very practical note, I don't know anything more than you guys know. I just think it's going to be more and more of training nationals training indigenous people to do the mission there, which is what it's always been about. But that's, that, anyway, we're going to continue to move toward that. But please, please, please pray for us as we continue to try to have a local, national, and global ministry as witnesses. Um, finally, we are witnesses until he returns. We are witnesses until he returns. Verse 9 says this, and when Jesus, he, uh, had said these things, that's, you'll be my witnesses, um, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. This is what theologians call the ascension. Um, a lot of people talk about Jesus' resurrection. A lot of people talk about his return. A lot of people talk about Pentecost. Uh, this is in between the resurrection and Pentecost is his, what's called, we call it his ascension. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, who we assume were angels, stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. So just, just quick insight about the ascension. Why the ascension? Um, the ascension was like, why, why the, you know, going directly up in heaven uh, on a cloud like that? It's because when Jesus was here for 40 days, he would come and go often. So if you read the accounts in the gospels, he would show up someplace, be there for a day or two, uh, talk with them, leave. Then, oh, is that Jesus? He'd go, they were fishing. He, he, would, he would come, he'd go, he'd come, he'd go. The, the ascension is Jesus' way to say, I'm going and I'm not coming back for a long time. And so what, what he does is, in, in, you know, he says, in the same way, he'll return. You know, he'll, from the clouds, bodily, visibly, at the end of time, he'll return. Now, his ascension was private um, and his um, return will be public. His ascension was by himself and his return will be with thousands and thousands of angels. Um, but here's the whole point. If you look what, what the angels say to them, I want you to see this one more time. It says, 
Um, verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as they went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. So it's interesting. Immediately as he leaves, they go, why are you still looking up to heaven? And it's this interesting thing. And I think there's a couple of principles there. One is oftentimes the most time wasted is the time getting started with something. They're already distracted, right? John Stott, a pastor, he says, early on, their vision was too earthly. Will you restore the kingdom right now here in Israel? He says, and at the end, it's too heavenly. It's like, there he is. When's he coming back? I want to just focus on heaven. No, no, we can't just focus on heaven. Heaven's focus is on earth. And what's interesting is one of the things, and we don't know everything about the return of Christ, right? When, we, when it comes to the return of Christ, we're on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee, Okay. Um, we don't know everything about the return of Christ, but one of the things that we know that Jesus has said, among other things, is I will not return until the gospel has been preached to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so whenever you find, and I mean this in the best sense of the word, radical missionaries who are going to the, the farthest parts of the world, they're doing that because they know they want Jesus Christ to come back so bad that they know the way to get to, the way the Bible talks about hastening the day of the return of Christ is to share Christ with as many people as possible. You know, my, my, my question as we close really is this. I mean, are you aware that God has called you to be a witness? That God has made you for mission? This, is a, this was an awareness that Jesus Christ had at a very, very young age. The first thing that we hear Jesus say at age 12 is, I have to be about my father's business. I, I'm in my father's house. The last, one of the last things that we hear him say in John 17, 4, he's praying in his final prayer. He says, I accomplished the work that you had me to do. He's somebody who saw himself that way. It reminds me of a, of a story about D.L. Moody. If you don't know who D.L. Moody is, I know I've talked about a lot of different people tonight. Um, D.L. Moody was a very famous evangelist uh, out of Chicago. He started a Bible school, incredibly godly man. Well, um, he had gotten news during his ministry, that there was some nurse in Chicago who led 100 people in her hospital to Christ, right around 100 people. And D.L. Moody was so amazed by this, he said, he had a radio show at that time, he said, I've got to get, I've got to get this lady's name, I've got to get her information, let's go. So he, he gets the, her information, and they sit down, and they get on the interview, and he says, so, you know, you work at such and such hospital? And she said, yeah. And, and he said, um, so you're a nurse? And she said, well, I'm, I'm actually not a nurse. And he was, do I have the right person, you know? And he said, well, what do you mean? And uh, don't you work on such and such floor? She had, she had led everybody on her floor except for three people to Christ on her, on her nursing floor. And she said, well, actually, to be honest with you, I, you would say I'm a nurse. The way I view myself is I'm a Christian who's disguised as a nurse. And she said, that's what's always motivated me. I know I'm a nurse, but really my primary identity is I'm a Christian who's disguised as a nurse. And that's what motivates me when I go to the hospital. And I just thought, how many of us would say, I'm a Christian disguised as a dad <laughs> or disguised as a mom or wh whatever the different I secondary, important, but secondary identities that we wear? What would it look like for being a Christian to be the most important thing about me and the first thing that I think? I know that's something I want to grow in. I want to be a Christian pastor. I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian before I'm a dad. I'm a Christian before I'm a son. Same with all of us. I want to end tonight with, with a famous prayer. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of St. Patrick. Of course, it's St. Patrick's Day, so you've heard of him. But St. Patrick, he was an incredible evangelist. And I want to read you what's called St. Patrick's. I'm going to pray this. You guys can pray with me. This is what's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. And it was a prayer he prayed, I don't know if it was daily, but often as he went out into the hardest areas of Ireland to preach the gospel. Would you pray this with me? Here's what he says. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me. God's might to uphold me. God's wisdom to guide me. God's eye to see before me and God's ear to hear me. God's word to speak for me and God's hand to guard me. God's way to lie before me and God's shield to please protect me. God's host to secure me against snares of the devil, against temptations and vices, against everyone who would wish me ill, afar and anear, alone and in a crowd. Christ be with me. Christ before me and Christ behind me. Christ in me and Christ beneath me. Christ above me and Christ on my right and Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down and Christ when I sit. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye of every person that sees me. And Christ in the ear of every person who hears me. Lord Jesus, help us to be that type of church. Lord, I just pray right now for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very simple to get drunk with wine. You just drink a lot of it. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord, also takes intentionality. Lord, help us to realize, like that image we talked about earlier, Lord, that you are a Father who deeply loves us. And the more that we would experience that love, that deep love that you have for us, the more we might be bold and courageous, Lord. Lord, help us to really affect us, Lord. Help us to make, I'm starting with myself. I've got an appointment tomorrow with myself at 9 a.m. To, to go over my frank and blessed list, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would, and with you, Lord, to talk to you about it. Lord, I pray that we would be that type of church where our, our, our frank list and our blessed list is meeting our budget and our calendar, Lord. And we would have so many stories in the baptismal, Stories of faithfulness and fruitfulness. We ask this in your name. Amen.